0: Hey, today we are gonna be wrapping up our last sermon in this sermon series on inescapable mission. And if you're new to church, this has been a four or five week sermon series that we've gone through on evangelism. And evangelism is basically just us sharing our faith and what we know about Jesus with other people. It was about 20 years ago when my parents and my sister and I decided that we were going to all pool our money together and we were going to buy a boat. And I love water sports and I love going to the lake and being at the lake in the summer. That is where I'm at peace and I feel comfortable there. And I, I'm not terribly good at water sports, but I enjoy it anyway. And so uh, we decided we were going to finally you know, make the plunge and we were going to buy a boat so we could enjoy this more often. And the problem is we bought that boat in the middle of the winter, and so we ordered this thing, and it wasn't going to arrive, and we weren't going to be able to use it till spring. I think it was December when we actually bought it, and so we had to wait months for this boat, and as you know, with Alberta winters, the spring just drags on as we sit there and wait for the ice to come off the lake. But when we got this boat, we finally, we had to go pick it up, we connected it to the vehicle, and we headed back to town to show all of our friends about it. We were excited about what we were going to be able to do with this boat. We were going to go, you know, uh, probably not fishing, even though I enjoy it. We were going to do, you know, a little bit of that, but mostly just go water skiing and tubing and, you know, all the fun things you can do with that. So we were excited to show all of our friends, because we wanted to share that with them. And so we headed into town, and we we drove by all of our friends' houses, and we're like, hey, you got to come and check out the boat. Look what we're going to get to enjoy with you this summer. And that was great. And so when the day finally came for us to lake test this thing, the ice had been off the lake for a total of about a week. And we strapped on our winter coats and we're like, let's go boating. Let's do this. And so we head to the lake and, uh, you know, we go and lake test this thing. And it was just this great experience. And that just kicked off the start of summer for us, even though it was probably like the end of April. So anyway, and another thing that we like to share, another experience we like to share is the Kalmar Bakery, okay? If you've never been to the Kalmar Bakery, you need to go and check it out, and they're not paying me to say this, although they should in donuts, Uh, and you're like, Joel, why do you always talk about donuts? Every time you preach, there's a donut story. Let's see if we can keep it up, shall we? Anyway. Father's Day this year, we got you guys Kalmar Bakery Donuts, but they were, they were like a day old. So you need to go there on a Saturday morning, and you need to experience fresh Kalmar Bakery Donuts. But they're delicious, and when we go and get them, me and my wife or my, our family, uh, we, always, we always make sure we get two dozen So that, you know, like I can have a box and then we can have a buffer box before people get to my box. But we want to share it with people. That's why we get so many donuts. And so they get to experience this really uh, awesome donut with us. But why is it that we want to invite people to share in what we have? You know, and I think it's because we want them to have the same experience we have. We have joy and excitement and fun and we have a connection with certain things. And we want them to have the same experience That we have and I think sharing ultimately deepens our friendship with other people because we can look back and say hey remember when we shared that that experience or that don't remember we strapped on our winter coats and we went for a, a drive in the boat like we can we have that connection now but what about when it comes to sharing our faith do we get as excited about sharing our faith as we do about getting a new boat don't answer that question I think some of us do. You know, some of us are genuinely excited to share our faith, and we're out there telling our friends about God, and we're doing all sorts of things to, like, put ourselves in places where we can share our faith. But I don't necessarily think that is the case for all of us. You know, we see Jesus at work in our lives and and we know that he has grabbed our hearts and he's got our attention and we we experience him when we worship and we see him doing things for us and it's good and it's all in here, but it's not enough motivation for us to share that experience with others. And yet we know he's done amazing things in our lives. We like the idea of sharing our faith. You know, we're just not going to do it. And perhaps that's because we've convinced ourselves already that, you know, the neighbors, God's not really their thing. Or, you know, the, my boss at work, she's got way too much money and she's way too smart to even think that she needs God. The kids at school, forget it. They're worried about the party on the weekend and who they're going to meet, to even think about spiritual things. They're so distracted with what's going on in life and the things that they have, they would never see it. And that's true. They are distracted, but it is in the distractions of life and the things that shield us from being able to see Jesus that that Jesus actually wants to come into and reveal himself to us in our lives. You know, he wants to reveal why we chase after money in the party scene in the next relationship. He wants to expose the hole that is in our lives that we don't even know exists because we're so busy trying to fill it with other things. He wants to reveal to us why we keep chasing after physical, temporary things instead of being filled by the only thing that's sufficient enough to fill that hole in us, which is his presence in our life. Today, we're going to be going through John chapter 4, and you can open up your Bibles or turn in your... Turn... Open up your Bible app or turn in your Bibles right now, uh, and we're going to go through that together. I'm not going to have the, um, uh, the scripture on the screen today, so we can do this together as you're reading through with me. Um, anyway, this is the story of the woman at the well, and it's a story where we see Jesus invite this woman to fill the emptiness that she has in her life with what he calls living water. And as we go through this story, we're going to be looking to uh, glean some, some information and some stuff from this passage that will help us as we endeavor to share our faith with other people. Are there things that we can learn as we go through this that will help us in the mission of getting people to see that there is more to life than just living for the moment? I wonder if, when it comes to invitation, if we've kind of lost our way in North America a little bit. I can't speak for outside of our continent, but I know in North America, I wonder if we've maybe lost our way a bit. And when I say invitation, I think I'm thinking of evangelism in general. As humans, we like to create processes and systems, and, and we do this because it makes it easy to duplicate the results and to make sure that we can do it again. And that's awesome if you're trying to start a business or run a program or run a school, Even just to get the kids up in the morning and out the door, process is important. But process and systems don't translate well into the spiritual realm. And the things of God don't fit well into a box. For example, we try to categorize spiritual gifts. And so we we name them, and we call them all these different names, and, and, and we see these things displayed. The Spirit of God imparts these things on people to do His work. But these are just categories that we give these things that we see happening. If you have the gift of healing, that means that you, you can, uh, God uses you to bring about physical healing for people. But could God use a person with the gift of healing to heal people emotionally or, or maybe even relationally? You know, that's not how we've categorized it, but could God do that? Well, only he knows. And we certainly wouldn't uh, want to say that God wouldn't or couldn't do that because it's Up to God if he wants to do that. The same is true for inviting and evangelism. This is a spiritual thing. We are inviting people to meet and have a relationship with the Spirit of God. You know, we can't just create a process for that. We titled this sermon The Art of Invitation, but The Art of Invitation is actually a bit deceptive because it can fool us into thinking that the process lies within our ability to grasp, but it doesn't. The art of invitation isn't like the art of making a cake. You can't just hone that skill, get really good at it, and then make perfect cake after perfect cake after perfect cake. It doesn't work like that. The art of invitation is different every time because the art of invitation is actually the art of being obedient to the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the art of allowing God's leading and then seeing what he puts in our path. The story of the woman at the well begins in John chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, where we see Jesus heading out of Jerusalem, and he's going north to Galilee. And that's like a a 120-kilometer journey, and he's passing through towns and things on the way. So let's pick it up in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Let's read. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Interesting information there. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sikar. Near the plot of ground, uh, plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. As Jesus is gaining more and more notoriety and popularity Uh, the risk of confronting and having a confrontation with the Pharisees is increasing. Now, that doesn't scare Jesus at all. I think Jesus proved throughout his ministry that um, confrontation and, and persecution is something that didn't bother him at all. He's not leaving town necessarily because that he's afraid of these things. He's leaving town because the Father has more work for him to do yet. There are towns and there are people and the places that he has to go, people that God wants him to reach before he sacrifices Him for the sins of himself for the sins of the world. We know that Jesus often went to quiet places to pray. He'd go off into the hills and the mountains surrounding towns, and he would just spend time alone communing with the Father. When we spend time alone with God, that's where we get our marching orders. That's where he tells us what he wants to do. Those are the moments where we discover what God's will is for us. And Jesus spent a lot of time with the Father in that. When we spend that time in prayer, we get to know the will of God. And and it's at this point in the story, Jesus and his disciples, now they've been traveling all morning. They have probably walked six hours or more before reaching the place where they are, the place that's called Jacob's Well. This well is actually still there today, if you can believe it. They've built like a, a church or something over top of it. And you can actually go there and visit there, and this well is still giving people fresh water to this day. And that's fascinating. You can Google it if you want if you get bored in the sermon today, all right? Check check it out. It's you'll anyway, uh, it's I think it's really neat that this well is still there and it's actually still giving people. Uh, water to this day. So anyway, it's hot. They're tired as they arrive at the well. Their feet are probably really sore. They don't have shoes like we have. Walking six hours at a good pace is probably making these guys' feet hurt a lot. And so Jesus just sits down and he camps out for a little while beside this well. But Jesus knows that this is no ordinary pit stop. From his physical condition to the location where he's sitting to the time of day, this is all a careful plan that the Father has brought him into. And Jesus just sits there and he submits to the moment, waiting for what is about to unfold. And so we read in verses 7 and 8, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Samaritans were regarded by Jews as like ethnic half-breeds. Hundreds of years earlier, when the, Assyrian, uh, the Assyrians attacked the northern kingdom of Israel, they... they um, And defeated it. They ended up blending their religious and their cultural values because the Jewish people living in that area ended up marrying their captors, and so what the normal Jews viewed these people, these now Samaritans, as sort of like an abomination. You know, they just they didn't believe the same things anymore. They had mixed these values. Uh, For example, the Samaritans used the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, They didn't use the rest of the Hebrew Bible, and so that skewed their interpretation of the Bible as they read it. And they knew of Abraham and Jacob, but they didn't worship God anymore. They had gone astray in their worship. The Jews had said, hey, no, you need to come to Jerusalem, and we have built the temple of God there, and that is where you sacrifice, and that is where you worship. And the Samaritans said, no, we're doing it on this mountain over here, actually. That's where we'll worship. And they had gone away from worshiping God in that. Jews also wouldn't touch Samaritans because if they touched a Samaritan, they would be uh, ceremonially unclean. And so you you can see these different things would have created a lot of tension between Samaritans and Jews. In addition to these religious and cultural differences, the text reveals some clues about this woman, that she is actually a social outcast. She's going for water at the worst time of the day. It's about noon, the scriptures tell us. It would have been hot you know, and, and so you wouldn't want to go in the heat of the day. She's also alone. And you wouldn't go for water as a woman alone outside of the city. You would go, go with a group of ladies and you would get water. So she is there by herself at an odd time because she does not want to run into anybody from her community. But that doesn't bother Jesus one bit. One of the things that this story shows us is that God wants to reach past the barriers. He wants to get into our lives. All the things that we see as issues, why people might not want to know about God, the outward things, you know, the wealth and the, 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 the friendships and the, just the different things that we're like, Hey, they are too busy. They wouldn't want God wants to reach right through that stuff. It's in those things that Jesus wants to reach into. And he wants to meet us there. But Jesus doesn't falter when he's faced with barriers, cultural or religious differences, uh, different life philosophies, different ideologies. You know, these things are not obstacles for him. The one thing we know about Jesus is that he is in ruthless pursuit of the soul. There isn't a barrier out there that Jesus cannot immediately get over, break down, or cut through. And so even with this social outcast who has a different faith and a different cultural background, Jesus pursues the work that the Father has given him to do. And he just simply starts a conversation with her. And she's kind of put off by that. She doesn't like this. You know, she was expecting to find nobody there. She was going at a time of day when nobody should have been there. And we read in in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink? In that culture, men and women did not hang out with each other. If you wanted to date a woman, you did not go and take her on a date someplace. That is not how it worked. Guys and gals hung out with their own groups, and they did not meet and come together and, and hang out and talk. That, this was a culturally weird thing to do. A man and a woman alone, and he just reaches out and talked to her. On top of that, he is a teacher, and teachers would have even been less likely to speak to a woman. But Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. And so he opens the discussion with her and she's going like, like guy, we don't see eye to eye. You're talking to me and I'm a woman and we don't see eye to eye on some pretty significant issues. And here you are talking to me and not just talking to me, you want to give me a drink. Like, aren't you afraid you might actually touch me and become unclean? This is what Jesus says to her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What this woman does not realize at this point is that she is on God's radar, and not just her, but her whole town. God wants to do something in her life that is amazing, and in that town, and so Jesus pursues her heart. He's not moved from his mission. You know, uh, she has been missing something in her life up to this point, and it's caused her to look in all of the wrong places. You know, to find that fulfillment, and she doesn't realize that the one who could actually satisfy the things that she has wanted in her life and the whole that she has in her heart is actually standing right in front of her, and she misses that completely. When it comes to sharing Jesus with the world, this is an issue that me and you find that we're running up against. The world doesn't get it, they don't understand Jesus. We think of life, and when we think of life, we think of it in terms of eternity. We don't just think about tomorrow. The problem with this for us is though, in the art of invitation, is we're powerless in this position as humans, as Christ followers to do anything that will open their eyes to see the Holy Spirit or the need for the Holy Spirit and Jesus in their lives. We can't make Christians. It's only the Holy Spirit working through us and moving into people around us that will actually make the difference in people's lives. I worked with a guy who was really hostile towards Christians He had grown up in the church and, and uh, you know he did all the right churchy things and he knew all the right answers when it came to, to religious stuff. Um, but he got mad at God and he was angry because when he would call out to God for certain prayers to be answered, God didn't answer those prayers and I'm not sure if I shared this story with you but before, but he ended up falling away from the Lord in that. Uh, God didn't fit into the box, and God didn't operate the way that he wanted him to so God's not real. If God doesn't do what I think he should do, how could he possibly be real? And so when we worked with each other, we had lots of opportunity to talk. And we, I remember many times sitting there, eating with him or, or working or on the side of the road in the vehicle, just having a discussion about God. And, and I'm a guy who's gone to Bible school. I'd been a pastor at this point. And there was things that he would talk about that he had read and you know, psychology things and, and, and all of this. And I didn't even know what to say to him. I couldn't, I couldn't provide an answer to the questions that he had. And so in those moments that we would, we would sit there and talk, I would just call out to the Lord. And I would say, Lord, like, I don't know what to tell this guy, but if you have something for him, just tell it to me and I'll share it with him. I can't tell you how many times God actually answered that prayer by giving me something to say to this guy. We'd be sitting there in subway having a discussion and I'd be like a deer in the headlights. I don't know what to tell him. And I would say, Lord, you know, what do you have for me right now? And he would give me some words and I would just say them. I would just tell him what God put on my heart in that moment. And I can't, like so many times we would be sitting in subway or in in my vehicle and he would just be weeping. I didn't do that. God gave me things to say that pierced through all of the barriers and the things that he was trying to put in the way. God just worked right through all of that, went right to this guy's heart. You know, construction workers in dirty clothes, weeping. You know, it just is not the picture you would think, and it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with my posture and my submission to the Holy Spirit, but it had nothing to do with me. God knew how to reach that person. We cannot make Christians, that is the job of the Holy Spirit. But this is actually a great comfort to us, you know, because we don't need to come up with the right words and we don't need to create the right scenario in order to invite people to church or into a relationship with God. You know, we just need to be listening and obedient to his leading. This is why we are called servants of God, because we don't lead. He does. But there's a great comfort in that for us. We don't have to have all the right answers. We just need to be obedient and allow him to do that. Let's keep reading. In verses 11 and 12, sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? The word uh, for living water can actually mean two things here. It's the spiritual thing, which we're thinking about right now, but this woman doesn't take it like that. It can mean, you know, fresh water, running water. And so she's thinking, uh, this guy's offering me a different well that I should go to. And she's going, uh, this is Jacob's well. Like he's famous in my life. He's famous in your life. Like, you think that your well is better than the well that Jacob thought was good? You're crazy. And so Jesus responds to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming up here to draw water, and at this moment, we're like, oh, I think maybe she's starting to get the picture, she doesn't, at this point, she has no idea what he's talking about still, she's thinking, oh, great, I met a plumber, he's gonna come to my house, he's gonna install indoor plumbing, I'm gonna have running water, this is gonna be amazing, like, I'm so glad that I came here today, this is an incredible, what a blessing from God that I met this guy, is what she's thinking, she has no idea what a blessing he has gonna be for her, So Jesus comes back with a question which at first glance seems like an incredibly odd thing to say to this woman after this interaction so far. He says to her in verse 16, he says, go, call your husband and come back. What a weird thing to say after this living water stuff. And she replies to him, I have no husband. And Jesus kind of chuckles because he knows what's going on. He knows what she's trying to do. She's hiding. He says, you're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. After she misses his point and and, um, a few times, Jesus draws this woman's attention to probably the most significant issue that she has had in her entire life. He exposes this unquenchable desire for intimacy and self-worth What she has not been able to satisfy, and it has all but ruined her life to this point, and she has become uh, gained this shameful reputation in her town. And this is where we see the connection between the physical thirst that both of these people are experiencing right now and then the spiritual thirst that this woman is experiencing. Her soul is parched, and she has been doing everything she can and knows how to do to quench her thirst, but it keeps leaving her thirsty. You know, we, we, we can look at this and we can see parallels for today. You know, how many of us, including ourselves, can look around and go, oh man, like, you know, we try to fix the spiritual and emotional things with physical stuff, right? There's actually a sobering reality in the name comfort food, right? How could food be comfortable? Unless it's ice cream, and then maybe it becomes- I know for me, when I'm feeling kind of empty or down or whatever, the first place I go is the pantry, and I'm looking for sweets. Like somehow the sweets are going you know, like to help me deal with my frustration or my sadness. Or if I'm angry, it's like popcorn. Like, give me something to chew on, you know. The problem is this doesn't fix anything. As a matter of fact, the more we try to fix spiritual things with, with physical solutions, the more we realize that they're just not doing it. And so we indulge more, because that's what we know. What Jesus is trying to show us here is that we can actually thirst spiritually. And what the woman at the well is showing us is that there isn't a physical thing in this world that will fill a spiritual thirst. It's the great trick of Satan to make us think that we can actually satisfy something within our spirit using physical things. I mean, he keeps us busy all day long looking in the wrong directions. That's his work. He's totally deceived us. That's why I go to the pantry and I have Jesus in my life. There is nothing in the physical world that will quench our spiritual thirst like Jesus. This is what God has invited us to be a part of. We are his helpers in spreading living water to a dry and thirsty world. But we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. The art of invitation starts with us being obedient to the Holy Spirit and what he has us do. We can't do it on our own. Let's keep reading. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This whole conversation has been a discussion about physical and spiritual things. And again, she tries to take the conversation away from the the spiritual and she tries to put it back into the, uh, the, the physical. And he knows that the work his father to call, has called him to is spiritual work. And so he is not allowing this woman to get him bogged down in these trivial religious debates that she keeps trying to drag him into. Because the truth is, with eternity in view, trivial religious debates don't mean anything. That's the kind of stuff me and you sit around and we, you know, we debate all day long. But these religious debates, they don't necessarily amount to anything. They're, they're secondary issues compared to somebody's eternal destiny. And so Jesus stays the course. And I think there's a lesson for us in this. If God has put someone on your radar and someone in your life that he has called you to, to reach out to, don't get bogged down in sort of the, the social debates of the day or, or some religious jargon issue. You know, like I, I, would, I would get into debates with, or I, I, pardon me, I didn't get into debates, but I could easily got into debates with that guy that I worked with. But because I didn't even know what to say to him because of the things that he was bringing to me that he had researched and thought about and everything else, I just called out to the Lord. I didn't need to have the answer for why this happens or that happens because the Holy Spirit just gave me what exactly what that guy's soul needed. There was only one thing that God was worried about and it wasn't that I, I solved the problem that he was bringing to me. It's not that I have the, the answer for the abortion discussion or, or the answer for the, the vaccine discussion. It didn't matter. With eternity in view in this guy's life, eternal life on the line, everything else was secondary. And we need to call out to the Holy Spirit in those moments. Don't get sidetracked, I think, is the point here. As is the case for the woman at the well, pressing through those things and not being distracted by them literally made the difference for eternity in this woman's life. Let's keep reading in 27 through 30. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? or Why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. This pretty much wraps up the divine appointment uh, between Jesus and this woman at this point, and she heads back into town. Uh, because she has just discovered and probably for the first time in her life has had the, her spiritual hunger, her spiritual thirst quenched. She has received a breath of life and she has experienced something that she wants other people to be invited into. Just like you know, us getting the ball and we're so excited, we want to share that with somebody. She wanted other people in her town, people she had previously been avoiding, she wanted them to experience this thirst uh, quenching experience that Jesus had provided her. You know, she left her water jar. There's some neat uh, symmetry there. You know, she leaves her water jar. She's not thirsty anymore. And she just heads back into town. She has had her thirst quenched by Jesus. We don't know what every word that we speak to somebody is going to do. But we can be sure that when we're speaking the Holy Spirit's words and we're seeking His guidance and all that, that His work, His eternal work, will be accomplished. You know, sometimes it's noticeable, like in the Samaritan woman here. We see the results right away and there's this harvest that comes immediately, but other times we're not gonna know the side of heaven. We just need to be obedient and following the Lord. Either way, our job isn't to secure results. When we think about the process and the, the art of invitation, we're not in this to secure results. That's not what our job is. Our job is very simple. Obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading. It's at this point that the story shifts a little bit. Up to this point, we've been talking about the woman at the well. And we've been seeing how she's thirsty and how Jesus wants to provide her living water. But the story is now going to shift to the disciples. These are men who know Jesus and yet they have yet to learn that there is actually spiritual nourishment that they can receive. And they can receive this by doing the work of the Father. Let's keep reading. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You would think that these disciples would actually know about what he's talking about, but they're just as blind as the woman at the well to these spiritual things. Then his disciples said to each other, could, he, uh, could someone have brought him some food? My food Jesus says is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still 4 months to the harvest? I tell you open your eyes and look the field. Look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Every uh, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper they may be glad together. Thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. There are these incredible parallels from the physical world in this story, and it helps us understand uh, spiritual truths. Here we have Jesus using another very physical need that we have to explain a spiritual thing. And I don't think there's much doubt at this point in the story that Jesus is hungry and he is thirsty. Nobody has got him a drink and he hasn't eaten anything yet. And yet he still uses this experience that he's having and maybe his disciples are feeling to invite them to understand a spiritual truth. There is something that satisfies the soul even more than food satisfies the body. And that is to do the will of the Father. Before he began his ministry, Jesus spent a bunch of time in the desert. And after 40 days of not eating anything, he was tempted by Satan to use his power to turn stones into bread. Jesus would have been starving almost to death at this point. And Satan gets in there and he's trying to take his eyes off of what God has planned for Jesus. God's plan in that moment is that Jesus would be hungry and rely only on his provision to survive And the devil gets in there and goes, well, why don't you just make some bread if you're hungry, right? But Jesus doesn't give in to that. His response is this. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He's not swayed. There is a spiritual hunger that we experience when we are not doing the will of God. Now, That doesn't mean that we're walking in disobedience. And it doesn't mean that we're living a sinful life at all. But what it does mean is that when we are not seeking out and doing the work that God has for us, we miss out on some spiritual nourishment that takes place from being used by God. This is for me and you, this part of the story. If you are not, or if you are a believer in God and you've been sitting, you know, in these pews going, hey, yeah, like this is all good stuff. This is for you, this part. There is spiritual nourishment that comes from doing the work of God. And if you've sat here and you've been like, man, I've been hungry and I'm, you know, I'm I'm looking for God to do spiritual things. I want to see life happening around me here, but I'm not seeing it. You're hungry. That's the spiritual hunger. And so in those moments when we're spiritually hungry, we need to, we need to regularly seek the father's will. And more specifically, we need to ask him who, who next God. Because he wants to use you. That's the goal, right? He's decided he's going to use us. It's not the, you know, maybe I don't think it's the best plan, but he's using humans, flawed, weak people, to accomplish his purpose in the world. But it's because he's perfect that he can use us to do that. We just need to to reach out to him and say, who next? Instead of just sitting on the couch going, I'm not going to ask. I got this amazing thing going on in my heart, and Jesus has transformed my life, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Of course you don't want to share it with you know but we want you know like that but we want to we want to be obedient to God. We got to get off the couch. The good news is it starts on the couch. Literally we can sit on the couch and we can ask God who next. The art of invitation here is twofold. It's the art of being submissive to God and first doing what he wants to do above anything that we want to do and it's also the art of asking who next submitting to God and asking who next. And we can do that right here, right now. Let's be careful not to get out in front of the Lord. You know, It's our human nature to kind of think like, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to do that. I don't think so. I think we've learned from this passage in our discussion today that no, we need to go back first and we need to call on the Lord first and say, who next, Father? Jesus' interaction with this woman at the well was no accident. That scenario right down to the physical condition of his body, the time of day, the hunger, the thirst. Everything was carefully planned by the Father to speak into her life. And the Father used it all. Jesus simply did the work that the Father had called him to do in that moment. Folks, we can't make Christians that's the holy spirit's job it's only him who can make people's hearts change our role is to just simply turn to him and say who do you want me to reach and allow his holy spirit to speak into that uh it was about five years ago i would say um maybe maybe 10 michelle and i were kind of Feeling like, oh man, we need to reach out. We need to connect with our neighbors. We had good relationships with them, and and we had been, you know, doing the Christian thing—mowing their lawn every now and again, and shoveling their sidewalks, and hoping that, you know, Jesus would somehow make them believers by sh- shoveling their snow. But anyway, um, so we we were kind of feeling guilty, like, man, we don't have any significant relationships. We've been living in this town for five years, and we still don't have any relationships. God, what do you want us to do with that? And we started to realize, oh, like we actually don't even know if we care too much if we reach our neighbors. We're comfortable at home, and so we don't have this burning desire within to just reach out to our neighbors. Maybe you can relate to that. And so we just had to be honest in that moment. You know, God, we don't have a desire to do this. Can you give us a desire to do that? And so we prayed, God, give us a heart for people who don't know you. And uh, five years we have been living there, we didn't have one significant friendship in that town. Within three weeks of praying that prayer, God had four women in my wife's life that she was creating friendships with, and they were developing from that point on. We were eating in their houses, I was getting to know the husbands, the kids were at our house. Like, God just did that when we prayed that prayer, when we were obedient to that. And, and some of those people have actually come to church, and they've, they've been through classes here at our church, and God's done some cool things there. And some of them nothing happened, but we're still friends with them. And maybe one day God will use us to reach them too. I don't know, but we're just going to keep being friends with them. Those are the people that God brought our way. We don't know when he's going to do something in their life. Are you willing this morning to turn towards the Holy Spirit and ask who? I'd like to invite the band to come up and they're going to play a little bit. I'm going to give you some time to pray right now. I want to use this opportunity to seek the father's will for you. If you've been feeling spiritually hungry, ask God who he is calling you to reach. That hunger is likely there because you haven't been doing the work that God wants you to do lately. There is this nourishment that comes from doing it. So reach out to him, be nourished, ask who and see what kind of work he's got for you. If you've been feeling spiritually thirsty, call out to Jesus and ask him to come and bring living water, refreshing water to your soul. And if you simply don't know if you even care or are motivated to do that, maybe just confess that to the Lord say, you know, I don't, even, I don't even know if I have a heart for this stuff and ask him to give it to you and see what he does with that. All right, let's take some time and pray.